0: We are in week two, week two of our series, I Need a Vocation. As I mentioned last week, this is a play on words, the one where we have all hit that wall in life and thought, man, I seriously need a vacation. Right? Most of us have been there before, right? Where we just feel like, man, I need a vacation. I've been working. I've been going. Uh, this job has me going crazy. I need a vacation. We want to run away. We want to relax. We want to regroup and refresh. But can a two-week, can two weeks off really make up for all of the toll, all of the damage, and weight our jobs take on us uh, uh, mentally, physically, uh, relationally? Right, that the other fifty, the other fifty weeks are pouring in of the year. Is it possible to find fulfillment in a job that you're not all that passionate about? Can regular people live life without being burnt out or just plain bored? Can your nine to five actually make the world better? If you've ever wondered any of these questions, this series is this series is right up your alley. Today, today's message title is "What if? What if you cannot get paid to do something that you're passionate about?" All right, before you start twisting your head and snapping your fingers and saying, "I ain't doing it," then all right, let's think about that. All right, because I know what some of you are already thinking: "I ain't working." What if you could not get paid to do something that you were absolutely passionate about? Would you still do it? Let me ask you this can you remember a time someone called you by a new title for the first time? Someone called you by that new title, whether it was uh, my wife, my husband, right? The new manager, the coach, the dad, the champion. Right? What kind of feelings did that stir up inside of you? I remember the first time I was called team captain as a, as a, as a young teenager. Man, my first thought was like, yes, I got this. And then I started to look around and everybody started looking at me when we were losing. And I'm like, oh, I don't got this at all. I don't even know what to say. Right? Those moments and times can feel uncomfortable. They can feel surprising, emotional, and even surreal. These names and titles stir something up within us that we cannot quite articulate. At that precise moment, but in hindsight, we might start to discover that they are reframing our identity, causing us to view and think of ourselves differently. It's no surprise that what you do is often the second question that people ask you right after, "What is your name?" Hey what?" what's your name my name is Ephron. What do you do right most that's how the sequence actually plays itself out but this conversation began way before adulthood as children were frequently asked the question "What do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do or what do you want to be when you grow up but the question the question is never interested in the type of person as much as it is in the type of job. A fireman, an astronaut, a doctor, a veterinarian, an explorer. Right? They're more focused on the title than actually the person itself. When my daughters were young, they hate this part of service. They hate when I use them in my message. I have four of them. (laughs) Two of them get to escape, but the other two have to sit here and listen. When my daughters were young, they would probably, probably share for anyone to hear, when I grow up, I want to be a horse jockey. I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a cash register. Yeah, cash register. When I was a kid growing up, I would tell anyone that was around me that I was going to be a ball player or a mailman. I thought the mailman had the coolest job in the world. Like, they they had a uniform. I was a kid. Like, that uniforms were cool. They came in and they, they, big old key, they had this big thing and they opened up and they were loud. They turned that mailbox key and then the, the mailboxes would drop, boom, boom, because I live in an apartment building. And I would stand in the stairs just watching him as he just, like, he just knew where people lived and he was just putting stuff in there, right? And he would lock it up and tip his hat and keep going. And I'd be like, mom, we got mail. My mom lived in the fourth floor. I was screaming from the first floor. She would come down, and it just felt like this way for me, but every time she opened up, I felt like she was opening up news, good news, because there was always be a check in there. that time, I didn't understand things. As an adult, I started, to get, I started to figure it out, but I felt like the mailman delivered good things to people. I didn't realize much later, until much later that there were bills and all of that stuff, right? I wonder what happens, though, when we grow up and don't actually become a doctor, an explorer, a mailman, or a cash register. What happens when you end up in a job that, a job that you aren't passionate about? Or maybe a career that others don't think is that important. What do you do when your job provides what you need financially but not creatively or emotionally? Can you still experience fulfillment at a thankless job or in a career that you aren't passionate about? I think it will help if we first understand the definition of this word Vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin ver- word vocatio, right? And it means calling, right? Or voice. Calling or voice. So, in essence, your vocation is your calling in life. And this isn't just for spiritual-type jobs. It's actually kind of for all of us because it actually isn't about a specific job at all. It's about how or who we're hardwired to be and what you specifically can contribute to the world. So now that we kind of... Identified or define what this vocation, because I know it's not a word that we throw out quite a bit. It's more of a churchy word and 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 whatnot. Um, but when we do think about it, when we kind of understand it, we say, yeah, that's that's my job but i want to I want to kind of separate that understanding because it's not actually correct. Your vocation is your calling in life. It's about who we are hardwired to be and what you specifically can contribute to the world. So, so what, is, what is your voice in the world? Have asked yourself that? What is your specific voice in the world? Your calling isn't something that you choose. It's something that you discover and unravel over time. So what is your voice? You see, we were created to be someone and not do something. We were created to be someone and not just go about living life doing something. To be clear, what you do matters, but what you do always flows from who you are, not the other way around. Does that make sense? You were created to be someone, not do something. And what you do here on earth in this world matters. But what you do always flows from who you are, not the other way around. Paul said it this way for in Ephesians 2:10, "For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, so that we can do good things He planned for us long ago. Another translation says, for we are the product of his hand, heaven's poetry. Heaven's poetry etched on lives, created in the anointed Jesus to accomplish the good works God arranged long ago. And still another translation says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God has prepared that we should walk in them. So first, you are God's masterpiece. And from that place, from that understanding, you're able to do good and cultivate good in the world around you. I don't think you heard me right. It's when we understand that we are God's masterpiece, that we are his craftsmanship, that we are his good work. It's at that point when we kind of grab onto that, that we can actually take on the next part of Scripture that says that he created us to do good work. That that purpose in life was to do good work. Stuff, plans, purpose that he etched a long time ago for your life. I don't think some of you are hearing me exactly because I get excited inside when I understand, man, I, that, that, wrong, that wrong stuff I did, that, that boring life, that's a mistake. That wasn't what God purposed me to live. He actually created me to do good things in life. He purposed me to do good works in the world that I live in. Ever have a job? Or maybe some of you are in one right now where you look around and you tell yourself, what in the world of Jurassic Park am I doing here? I don't belong here. My skills, my talents, my abilities... All the things that I possess, my passion, it doesn't have any business in this place right here. Yeah, I think many of us have or maybe even are. But can I drop the hammer on you this morning? Can I take off the lid and kind of blow your mind off a little bit? Listen to this. Your calling is not dependent on your job. Your calling is not dependent on your job. I'm gonna let that sit a little bit, because I know there are some of us that are not passionate about our job. I know there are some of us that are sitting here and says, "Man, my skills, my talents, our abilities are not being used at my job. My job gives me some dollars." My J-O-B helps me pay the rent and put food on the table. But what burns inside of my heart, my talents, my skills, and my abilities are not being utilized in my J-O-B. And it is at that moment where we understand that our calling, that our vocation, that our voice in the world does not, is not. Dependent on our J-O-B. It's about what you and I are uniquely designed to bring to the world. What are you uniquely designed to bring to this world? For me, I realized that my calling a long time ago, I realized what my calling was a long time ago, when I was named the captain of my baseball team. I didn't know what it all fully meant back then, but as I grew up, every pit stop that I took revealed a little bit more of my calling to me. And that was to lead people, to be a leader. I went from job to job learning and growing and working on my craft, sharpening my tools, but still not being completely satisfied. So I would leave one job and go to another job thinking that it was because I wanted more money, thinking that it was because I wanted a better, more uh, prominent title. But it wasn't until God grabbed a hold of my heart, pointing me in the direction of ministry, where I took a youth pastor's position in North Hollywood, not having a clue of what that actually meant, not fully understanding what God was actually calling me to do, You see, I had just recently given my heart to Jesus. But what I did know, I finally understood at that moment what I was supposed to do, what I was created for, my vocation, my voice in the world that I didn't quite grab onto before. Those are stepping stones. Those are kind of, uh, of of the building blocks of what God was calling me to do in life. You know what? What God has called me to do in life, I can do that whether I'm a pastor on this platform or a barista or a stay-at-home dad or the mailman or even a cash register. You see, my calling is not dependent on my job. God has called me to lead people in the right direction. And my compass is always pointing up to him. So, I don't necessarily need to be on this platform to do that. I could do that as a coach. I could do that as a teller at a store or a bank. I could do that as a driver. The Apostle Paul wasn't wasn't always an apostle. In fact, when he, we first meet Paul in scriptures in Acts 8, he was leading the charge in persecuting and killing Christians. But then he had a miraculous experience with God one day and received what could be understood as his calling. He then traveled far and wide spreading the good news of Jesus, even experiencing his own persecution and torment along the way. But did you know, did you know that Paul had another job? In Acts 18, verses 3 to 4, we learned that Paul's daytime job was making tents. That was his job. And then he used time on the weekends to go and pursue his calling of preaching the gospel. Church, if our calling doesn't have to be tied to a job, then we've just kicked the doors wide open to all kinds of possibilities. When we understand that our calling in life, what we were purposed to do, is not tied down to a job, we are now walking in the freedom of what God wants us to do. If our calling doesn't have to be our job, then regardless of whether we love or hate our work, our stay-at-home or our stay-at-home job or have a corner office or are starting your career or recently retired, all of us are able to experience fulfillment by living out our calling and contributing to the world around us. So what do we do? What do we do when we feel discouraged or unfulfilled by our work? What do we do when we're not happy with what our J-O-B, with with, with our J-O-B? Let's put a plan in play here this morning. I'm going to quickly go through these. Number one, how you view what you do matters. How you view what you do matters. There's a story about President John F. Kennedy uh, back in 1962 when he went to visit uh, the NASA Space Center. And during his visit, he noticed a man um, who was carrying a broom. He was the janitor. Pausing from his tour, the president kind of stepped to the man and said, hi, hi. My name is Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? And uh, the guy looked at the president and he said, Well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. This NASA janitor understood the truth about his work. He wasn't just pushing a broom. He was participating in something truly amazing and meaningful. He understood, he understood what was really important. So let's zoom out a little bit, all right? Let's zoom out and let's talk about drivers. Drivers can think, man, I just deliver things. Uh, I deliver food. I deliver appliances. I deliver prescription drugs. uh, I deliver uh, people. But if you apply what I just shared with you, there is honor in delivering anything that meets basic human needs. Right, it's just about switching our perspective. How about those who produce dog food? I don't know. What do you do? I, don't know. I just produce dog food. But I think that they forget that the food that they are providing for that dog, that dog, can be a little boy's companion. That dog can be a sight dog for somebody. That dog could be someone who brings peace in someone else's life. Sometimes, church, we just need kind of to kind of zoom out and see that we are participating in something truly meaningful. At a very foundational level, your work is allowing you to provide for your needs, for the needs of your family, which is something each of us are responsible for. First Timothy 5:8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, their families, and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worth worse more worse than a believer, unbeliever. Number two, how you do what you do matters. How you do what you do matters. Sometimes sometimes we believe our work is fruitless, it's frustrating or meaningless, and we act the way we feel. We go about our jobs walking around like we are fruitless, we are meaningless, and that we are frustrated. Colossians 3 verses 23 to 24 reminds us, God, uh, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master you are serving is Christ. So let's zoom in now on this. The details of how you show up the attitude that you bring, the intentionality in which you work, each of these things represents God, and each of these things matter. There's a story in Scripture where uh, of, a, of, a, of a man that maybe you have not quite heard of uh, before, but he was a metal worker, and his name was Huram. The king at this time was building a temple and enlisting different types of people, different types of craftsmen to help with its completion. So Huram was brought in to build the pillars. He was brought in to build the pillars in the front of the temple. And so we're going to read some scripture that kind of describes what he did in 1 Kings chapter 7. It says, Haram cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference. For the tops of the pillars, he cast bronze capitals, each seven and a half feet tall. Each capital was decorated with seven sets of a latticework and interwoven chains. He also encircled the latticework with two rows of pomegranates to decorate the capitals over the pillars. The capitals on the columns inside the entry room were shaped like water lilies, and they were six feet tall. The capitals on the two pillars had 200 pomegranates in two rows around them beside the rounded surface next to the latticework. Huram set the pillars at the entrance of the temple, one towards the south and one towards the north. He named one of them Jachin and the uh, one on the north Boaz. The capitals on the pillars were shaped like water lilies, and so the work on the pillars was finished. Now, Huram recognized that while he was only responsible for a couple of pillars, he was actually participating in building the most celebrated and most beautiful temple ever created. He zoomed out. He zoomed out and was able to view what he was doing from a bigger perspective. Haram built these columns to be 27 feet high and 18 feet wide. That's incredible. That's massive. If you really think about it, that is massive. And then he crafted 200 pomegranates right on the rest to rest on the top of these pillars, 27 feet in the air. Now, I'm not good at history, but I don't think there was like a big crane back then. Right? No human, here's the thing, no human was ever going to see that. No human was ever going to be on top and see the intricacy and the intentionality that he put into his work. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway because Haran knew. He knew his work would honor God. He knew that God would see his work. So let me wrap this up this morning. Church, I think it's crucial. I think it's crucial that each and every single one of us recognize that our jobs, that our J-O-B do not define us. Our jobs do not define us. Our careers don't give us value. And our work can't tell who we are. Why? Because you were created to be someone, not do something. Each of us has a calling Each and every single one of us here has a calling and we're charged with pursuing that calling no matter what our employment status or job title is. It's on us. It's on us to fulfill that calling. It's on us to not let things deter us from walking into what God purposed us, the good work that God purposed us to do. Maybe maybe you're here today and you don't know what your calling or your voice is. Or maybe you're not quite sure where to start truth is that dis- the journey to discover your calling is marked by a thousand questions. By a thousand questions. I was 10 years old when I was named the team captain of my baseball team. It took me 17 years to begin to walk into that calling. And it's taken me another 20 years to fine-tune it. I know some of you are trying to do the math. (laughs) Yeah, I'm that old. And I don't stand up here saying that I've achieved or that I've arrived. I stand here letting you know that I know what my calling is. I know what my voice is. And every day I wake up wanting to make sure that I'm walking in that calling. That my voice to the world is being heard. And I'm fulfilling what God has called me to do. Good work. So this journey to discover your calling is marked by a thousand questions. But let me give you a few good ones where you can start off with. Number one, what do you love? What do you love? What makes you sad? What makes you happy? Or what makes you energized? Get the answers to those questions. Number two, what are you good at? And what are you bad at? Some things you should not be doing. Number three, how can you help make the world more like God intended? Because I believe with all my heart that the good works that he created you to do line up with the good that he purposed for this world. And number four, what areas have you seen success or traction in the past? Because chances are, there's a track record. There's a track work record leading you to what God has purposed you for. And lastly, what do the people you know who know you best see in you or say about you? What are they bragging about you? What are they saying that is good about you? Because that is a good indication of His calling. And as you begin to answer these questions, you will begin to see yourself inching closer and closer to answering the ultimate question. What is my calling? So friends, the practical stuff today as I leave you, take time this week to write out your calling. Take time this week to write out your calling. Make sure that it does not depend on a job title or description. Make sure that it lines up with your gifts, your talents, your track record, what your friends say about you, what you love, what you're passionate about. Because once we get to that point... You're now on an express way to living the life that God has for you. Amen.